0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, listeners. It's Kate, and I'm back with another one of our greatest hits. This one is from the winter of 2019, where my former co-host Anissa and I talked to Cal Newport about practicing what he calls digital minimalism. Cal maintains that you don't have to throw away your devices to have a more balanced relationship with technology. The key, he says, is to spend your time online on a small number of carefully selected activities that strongly support the things that you value and then happily miss on everything else. You obviously won't want to miss this episode. Enjoy. All right, so for this episode we are not in the same room and he says, is still stuck in New Zealand, but we're still having our conversation about digital detox and disconnecting.
1: Indeed. And it is four twenty two AM <laughs> in New Zealand. <laughs> so I'll do my best to
0: stay awake. Okay. It's a very interesting topic. So you can you can stay awake for this one.
1: Yes, definitely. So we should start with, you know, the thing that we've mentioned a few times in the past episode, but Kay, you do not have a smartphone. Yes, I do not have a smartphone. In fact,
0: I never have. I'm still using the same flip phone that I got over 13 years ago. Of course, I'm acutely aware of how strange this is, not only in general, only about 30% of Americans don't own a smartphone. But even more so in my demographic of a middle class, college educated, 30 something, working mom, living in a big city. The numbers for that demographic, it's like 7 percent or less of people who don't have a smartphone. And that doesn't even account for the fact that I'm an editor of a website that's dedicated in part to technology. Maybe I'm the only person in a position like mine that doesn't have a smartphone.
1: I mean, there are a few examples of successful people who don't have smartphones like Warren Buffett supposedly still uses a flip phone. Yeah. And me
0: and Warren Buffett are totally in the same category. Obviously. Um, Obviously. Clearly. (laughs) You're on your way to being the richest woman in the world. Yeah. You think Warren Buffett and then you think (laughs) Kate Davis. Yes. (laughs) Hand in hand. But. Yeah, I think um, it does go to show, though. I mean, okay, Warren Buffett and I are not in the same category, but it does go to show that it is possible to do your job effectively without being constantly connected. I've written a couple of times about my decision not to have a smartphone. You can find those articles in the show notes for this episode. And those are actually among the most popular articles I've ever written in my entire career. In fact, people regularly write me to ask me if I still don't have a smartphone and they want advice on how they can give their phones up, too. And there has been some recent data that actually shows that smartphone sales are declining.
1: Yeah. And digital detoxes have been growing in popularity for years, but most people probably still aren't ready to trade in their iPhones for a flip phone.
0: Yeah, probably not. And I know that it's not for everybody. I'm well aware of it. But surely there is some middle ground between full-on digital detoxing, giving it all up, and the way that many people seem to live their lives where their devices are like part of their bodies.
1: Welcome to Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Assistant Editor, Anisa Purvisari-Horda. And I'm Fast Company
0: Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. In this episode, we are going to answer the question, how can we disconnect and manage digital distraction? Before we go any further, I think I should explain a little bit more about my life without a smartphone because people are always baffled by it. And also because I think there are some elements to it that anyone who is getting burned out on constant connectivity can use. So one of the questions that people ask the most is, how do you get your work done? Or how do you do your job? Which I think is really a strange question because I'm online all day at work and I take my laptop home nearly every night. My work is quite literally the Internet, Um, but I don't need to do my job when I'm on the train or walking down the sidewalk or out with my friends or family. If something is crazy urgent, my colleagues have my cell phone number, but Really very few things are that urgent, even in our line of work, and I have a feeling that it's the same for most jobs in most industries.
1: Oh, definitely. I'm sure there are jobs these days that require a smartphone, but I think you're right in that people feel what's often a self-inflicted need to be constantly available, or that they're somehow viewed that they won't be dedicated to their jobs if they're not always available or if they don't respond immediately. Like before I was in journalism, I was in a client facing profession and I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to be reachable at all times. But I don't necessarily know if that was, you know, necessary. It's just I felt like I had to.
0: Yeah. And it's it's that being constantly connected and or feeling like you have to respond to everything in both work and, and things like social media right away that leads people to feeling stressed and burned out and why this is a topic that everyone is so interested in right now.
1: Yeah. And that's probably part of the reason why we see digital detoxes pop up and they're becoming more and more popular these days. So, you know, okay, people like you have chosen to opt out of the smartphone life altogether, but others just choose to have a break from it once in a while. You now see retreats for digital detox and there are even treatment and rehab centers for digital addiction. You also see a lot more vacation places that actually Advertise the fact that you can't get an internet connection or a phone reception, which is really crazy because you know not so long ago that was probably just the norm. Yeah, it's like we have really
0: bad Wi-Fi as a selling point. Right? I know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like well, there's some approaches to digital detoxing that do end up teaching participants like ways to use their devices in a smarter way. I think a lot of time. People will try a digital detox and maybe they enjoy it or they see some benefits of it, but over time they revert back to their old habits because it's kind of like a cold turkey sort of a situation it doesn't really take. And it's interesting that you mentioned like rehab centers because in a lot of the ways that we talk about our use of all things digital from computers to smartphones – is with the language of addiction. And I've spoken to several experts about this, and most of them are hesitant to categorize our use of screens in the same way as addiction to substances like drugs and alcohol. But the idea that you have to detox from something is strikingly similar. And if you make that comparison, then it makes sense that so many people end up with the kind of all or nothing approach.
1: Yeah, and a lifestyle of completely abstaining from the internet or from digital devices isn't possible for pretty much anyone. And there are probably very few jobs or lifestyles where someone could truly disconnect from digital life.
0: Yeah, it's exactly. And I know it may sound like I'm an extreme case because I don't have a smartphone, but I'm still very much connected. Like I said, I'm on Slack all day. And, of course, there are great things online, like this podcast— but I think that it's a more useful way to view our devices and the internet in general in the same way that we view, say, food. If you realize that you are overeating, you you can't give up food completely. That's not realistic. You need it to live. So instead, you figure out a sensible diet and you stick to it. And if you're successful, that becomes part of your lifestyle.
1: Yeah, food is a really good way of putting it. Because if you think about, you know, the way that people view food... And the way that we should consume food, anything in excess is usually not great for you. And I think that this is a good place for this episode. You might want to write this down segment. So press pause and get your pen ready. How you can cut back on your digital diet without giving up all your devices.
0: Number one, schedule your internet and email use. Rather than answering every buzz or beep the second you hear it, set certain times to check your email, your social media, etc., Train yourself to overcome this Pavlovian response. Try waiting five minutes after a buzz or beep or ding to reach for your device, then increase it to 10 minutes and then 15 minutes and so on.
1: Number two, develop a ranking system for your emails. So sort your emails into categories like important and urgent, important but not urgent, and neither urgent nor important. So this ranking system ensures that your brain is not overburdened with unnecessary or irrelevant information.
0: Number three, give yourself clear online hours. The root of the problem with information overload is that some kind of device is usually always within reach, but that doesn't mean that you have to use them every waking hour. So set an alarm when you'll shut down every night, ideally at least an hour before bed, so you can uh, have some time to decompress and not have that intrusive blue light.
1: And on that note, I think that this is a great place to introduce our guest for today. So Kate had the opportunity to talk to Carl Newport, an associate professor of computer science at Georgetown University and author of several best-selling books, such as So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for Work You Love, and Deep Work Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. His new book, titled Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World, came out this month and is a deep dive into what we're covering today.
0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at Verizon.com. Hi, Cal. Thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to talk about this.
2: Of course. Thank you.
0: I was reading your book on the way in on the subway, and this is like a topic people are so passionate about. So I think this is going to be really interesting.
2: Oh, excellent. I love it. And I assume you were telling people on the subway about it the whole way.
0: Well, I was reading it very like obviously when all the people around me were scrolling on their smartphones. So it was like a more subliminal message. I think I was sending
2: a lot of self satisfied. (laughs) I hold
0: my flip phone in one hand and your book in the other and just look at everybody on the train.
2: Yeah, exactly. And stare them down. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I love it.
0: Thank you for joining us. Um, Let's get right into talking about digital minimalism. Can you talk about your personal approach to technology?
2: I have, uh, in my digital life, right, no social media. Uh, I do have a smartphone, though it's old, and which I, I use, but not that often. I blog, though. So this is something I really like. I've been blogging since 2007, so I'm sort of an old-timer. But I love that technology. So I've been blogging for over a decade and sort of have a big audience on that website. And beyond that, I don't really web surf. Uh, I, I don't entertain myself that much using the internet. So I exist not in a non-digital type of space, but not in a completely digital engaged space. I, I'm sort of around the boundaries where I have certain areas where I uh, have deep incursions and otherwise tend to avoid it.
0: So that's interesting that you said you don't web surf because it's kind of, I mean, I do it um Everybody I know does it. You know, the, it's kind of a popularized thing—the idea of like going down an, an internet rabbit hole, where you're reading an article or you um you're writing something like, "Oh, I just need to look this up," and then you find like 30 minutes have passed, and you're like, "How the hell did I end up on this website? Where did like I went down a rabbit hole?" So, but you don't do that. How do you not do that?
2: Well, in, in fairness, some of it has to do with my job. So since I'm a professor, I don't actually have set hours I have to be. At an office, which I think is the origin of a lot of instinctual web surfing, where Mm. you get, for example, that cycle of sites, this one, this one, this one, this one, but essentially what happened is I had an internship after college, the summer before I started graduate school, where I was at a desk nine to five, and this was during the 2004 presidential election. And I had this cycle of political sites. It was this one, this one, this one, this one. And I was, I was going through it so reflexively and so instinctually that it spooked me. I was like, I don't like this. And so at that point, I decided I don't want to have a cycle of sites anymore. I don't want to know how to entertain myself on the internet. And I think that if you take about a month away from the web, you sort of lose your taste, that instinctual taste for this site, this site, this site would Bored. It's, it's like the Pavlovian connection starts to weaken. So that boredom no longer immediately triggers click on this tab on this do this and, and once you've lost a taste for it that you could essentially reprogram your board of instincts any way you want
0: that kind of starts to get to your your idea and your concept of digital minimalism, which is very different, right? than what we've been hearing a lot about and's been really popular, is digital detoxes. So you define in your book digital minimalism as spending your time online, you say, on a small number of carefully selected activities that strongly support the things you value then happily miss out on everything else, which is, like, I think as soon as people hear that, they're like, but FOMO, but FOMO. Like, what if something is happening on a site? How do you go about deciding what is important and what is not important?
2: Yeah. So the, the minimalist basically wipes the slate clean of all of the different services and apps and gadgets that you've sort of randomly accrued in your life over the last five or six years. They wipe the slate clean. They said, let me build back up my personal digital life from scratch. And that's their criteria. Is this something that significantly benefits a real value of mine? And so it's it's actually an exercise of self-reflection. I mean, what I recommend in the book is that you actually take a one-month period where you step away from all the optional technologies of your personal life. And, And there is a bit of a detox effect, but more importantly is during this period you get back in touch with, how do I actually want to be spending my time? And so if there's a, a given tech that's really going to help one of these things, yeah, you let it back in your life. You do so with rules about what and how you're going to use it, but you let it back in. And if it can't, uh, a particular tech can't give you a really strong argument for, okay, here's something you really cared about and is really going to help it, then you say, uh, I'm not interested.
0: I think the, the problem probably for a lot of people, as soon as they hear that, is the identifying what's optional. So a lot of people, if you say, I'm sure you hear this, like, That you're not, you know, when you say you're not on Twitter, you're not on Facebook, like, well, I would love to, but I have to be like I'm, you know, I'm a journalist. I feel like I have to be on on Twitter. How do you start to identify or push back on like what's optional and what's not optional? And if something like Twitter is not you can't I can't give it up. You know, it isn't optional for my job. How do I how do you approach something where it doesn't that's inherently a rabbit hole? That site is inherently a rabbit hole and approach it and use it. But but not. Down it.
2: Yeah, this is this is definitely the big uh, sticky point. So I ran this experiment a year ago, where I asked for volunteers to do this so that I could get some reports and get some evidence. And there's no hard and fast rule. The typical thing I say is if not using this would cause significant hardship in either your personal or professional life, then it's not optional. So uh, the example I give is if your daughter uses text messages to tell you she's ready to be picked up after practice, after school, there would be serious hardships if you stopped using text messaging. But then I add a caveat, which is, okay, there's there's technologies that are going to show up that are very broad in which there's a little bit you need to use it for. So if it's something like Twitter that maybe you use quite a bit in a distracted personal way, but also have some corner of your Twitter use that's professional, you know, what I would recommend is actually uh boundary putting boundaries around that corner. Say, okay, I do need to use Twitter for XYZ. Here's how I'm going to do it during the experiment. I'm going to do it just on a computer. I'm going to take it off my phone. I'm going to do it on a schedule or whatever it is. So that it it you don't allow a a small need for technology to be the uh, obstacle that prevents you from getting some breathing room from it in the first place.
0: I know I have mentioned that I don't have a smartphone and one of my um One of the biggest things I hear all the time is like, well, how do you do your job? How do you do your job? And I hear I know that you probably hear that a lot about your not being on social media. You know, how do you do your job? How do you do your job? But I think also it's it's both you and I are in um, uniquely interesting positions because I'm an editor of a of a website that does a lot with technology and you are a computer scientist who works in the tech community. How do you find being kind of a digital minimalist uh, impacts your your how you work within the tech community on like a day-to-day basis?
2: I think it makes sense for me. I think it makes sense for my colleagues that, yeah, it makes sense that a computer scientist might be someone who's thinking a lot about what about these computer technologies, you know, what's good and what's bad. In terms of the practical question, you know, I get this, uh, I get this a lot. I, I actually literally was just looking at an email from a reader right before we got on this interview. And he was, he was trying to understand the difference between Gary Vaynerchuk's advice and my advice, which is very different. <laughs> um, and he's like, well, I just don't understand you know, how uh, anyone would ever find you or your books if they can't find you on social media. And I was thinking, well, you're talking to me right now. <laughs> you found my books. I don't know. I seem to sell a lot of copies. Um, I, I think that when it comes to social media in particular, we have been uh, sold a message that drastically exaggerates its necessity especially in, in business. And when, when people do disengage from it more, they realize that there's some older factors that tend to be more important, like is what you're producing really good? If it's not, social media can't save you. And um, if it is, uh, the fact that you're not on social media four or five hours a day probably is not going to be what stops it from spreading.
0: Yeah, I do find that when people say, well, how do you do your job if you don't have a smartphone? It's like, well, how did people do their jobs before there were smartphones? It's not like, we're, you know it's not like journalism and business, and everything started in like you know two thousand seven or whatever when everyone started getting smartphones. There's lots of ways to do things that I think we've maybe forgotten how,
2: yeah, we've been told this message that okay, everything was oriented around social media. It's just not true.
0: I want to go back to if someone's like, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed, but like how do I actually put this in place in my life and why would I want to do that? Like, I, I like being on Facebook and I, I like being on Twitter and and I feel like I have to be connected constantly because there's the expectation of my job of being connected. Everybody's always on Slack. And if I wasn't on Slack and I there would be all these messages and I'd look like, you know, I'd look like I was not dedicated to my job. Can you walk through a little bit of like why somebody would want to undertake this in the first place and how they could maybe manage the expectations of everybody they work with and everybody in their life if they're going to do something so dramatic?
2: Well, I think a key separation first is to draw a line between professional life and personal life. In the professional world, there's a lot of issues surrounding the role that technology plays. I I wrote this book a few years ago called Deep Work that really gets into this, where I'm I'm arguing that in the professional space, we are uh, drastically undervalued. The revenue generating potential of unbroken concentration. And we're drastically overvaluing the importance of convenient, fast, and flexible communication. Uh, Digital minimalism, this has to do with the other side of the line. And this was feedback I got from a lot of readers from Deep Work, which was yeah, but what about our personal lives? And the issues are different. Your boss is not going to allow you to stop using Slack because of this book. That's that's Mm -hmm. another book. But when you're thinking about your personal life, if you feel like I'm using this more than I know is useful and more than I know is healthy, that's the sweet spot the digital minimalism is for, uh, and because something has shifted, and I think this is now an issue. So outside of work, that relationship is broken with our tools.
0: Is there a way within work because because work has bled so much into our personal lives and the expectation of always being um, being available? Is there a way to to do that with work though too to to like uh, help change the culture of of expectations with work and connectivity?
2: Well, an interesting thing about that question is uh, the feedback I get a lot from people, especially at the C-suite and above, is everyone feels like the constant communication, this is necessary. And the only reason why it's burning people out and not making us more productive is because we don't have the norms just right. And I actually have a more radical stance on this. I think it's the issue is not that our norms are slightly off. It's the workflow, the underlying workflow that we've adopted in the knowledge sector that is profoundly broken. Uh, As if we're just a group of people sitting around the campfire, just in an ad hoc, unstructured way, let's just keep talking and we'll figure things out. Our uh, bet that this was going to be the way to leverage technology to, to get huge productivity, I think, has been a substantial failure. I think we have to rethink from the ground up how we conceive of the right way to structure work.
0: So what can somebody, an individual who's listening or who's, or who's reading your book, and they, they're they like, yeah, I'm on board. I want to, you know, not feel as stressed out and connected to my phone and, and all of that all of the time. But this whole, like, digital declutter, like, digital minimalism sounds really overwhelming. Like, I don't know where to begin. Like, what are kind of three strategies that they can start with?
2: Uh, a couple things would be useful. The more you could get these things off of your phone— uh, and, and dethrone your phone from this constant companion model of something just constantly feeding you information and, and grabbing your attention and change it back to just an object you use occasionally to do specific things, that's good. And two, the more you can have rules about how and when a technology you have to use, you're really going to shift the ROI much more in your favor because it reduced the cost quite a bit while maintaining the benefits you need.
0: That makes, I totally agree with you and it sounds like you're making a uh... Kind of almost trying to make people's smartphones into dumb phones.
2: Well, or just the original vision for smartphones. I mean, this was Steve Jobs' original vision for the iPhone was, I want to take some things that people already really love to do, which is making phones and calls and listening to music. And I want to make that experience even more beautiful. That's like classic minimalism. You take things people really value and you try to pump up the value they get out of it. This notion that the phone is a constant companion that was not at all in the original vision for the consumer facing smartphones. This notion that you need to be looking at this thing all day, I think that would have completely baffled 2007 Steve Jobs. It is kind of dumbing down your smartphone, but I like to think it's more like making it aesthetically more pleasing. It's, it's minimizing your smartphone back to the original vision of what it should be doing in your life.
0: That's so great. I don't think, I think that a lot of people. Have forgotten that or maybe never knew that. And that makes sense. Like the smartphone originally was like, look, you can you don't need a separate camera and a separate iPod and a separate phone. We put them all in together. And here's one thing that's useful for this. And now it's just become it's my way to like scroll Instagram when I'm standing in line.
2: Yeah, that's the invented thing. Uh, and the shift was subtle between it, uh, but that's not what a smartphone has to be. And in fact, that's actually a very arbitrary version for what smartphones have to be. You don't have to be looking at these things all day. That's actually kind of weird.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And I think maybe hopefully in another approach, if, if nothing else, that will help people um, take back their own their own time kind of it's like, this is like you said, it's if it's not to benefit you, who is it to benefit? You know, and that's a good way to think about it. Um, I think that's actually all the questions I have. Thank you so much. This is, I could honestly talk about this all day, um, but I think this is really interesting. Thank you.
2: Well, thanks. I enjoyed it.
1: So Kate, I was recently going through Carl's new book and he had a lot of really good strategies that I think I'm gonna implement. Yeah. So it seems like he's proposing for the user to take back control because part of the reason for why we're so distracted is that we feel like we're not in control of it anymore, right? And it seems like it's so hard. But if you just think about, okay, I'm gonna use it for this and this is what I'm choosing to use it for, and I'm not gonna go down a rabbit hole, then like, it's so simple and seems like everyone should be doing it. But it's so interesting that a lot of people are just willing to give up control to, you know, the app themselves.
0: Yeah. And we and not realizing that we have given up control, but but then like, well, but I'm not happy and I don't like this, but how do I change it? Yeah, it's it's a really like, it's one of those things where it's like, it seems so obvious and it makes so much sense, but yet we need somebody to tell us how to do it.
1: I mean, yeah, that's worth a lot of things, right? I mean, you we were talking about food earlier. Like everyone knows, if you need to, you know, if you need to lose weight, there's a simple formula for it. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason why there's so many books and all these different diets is because people just need someone else to tell them.
0: Yeah, and I think I think this approach does make a lot more sense than that, like extreme. You know, in the same way like we were talking about, like an extreme like crash diet isn't going to work. I don't think necessarily for most people, long term and extreme digital detox, giving it all up will work. I think the using things more mindfully is the thing that works. And again, that seems so obvious, but it's so hard to, to put in practice.
1: So is there anything I mean, you already don't have a smartphone, but are you going to adopt any new habits, do you think, based on your conversation with Carl? I do.
0: Yeah, I think like especially the approach to because I am on social media and I think the approach to Twitter and to things like that of like, oh, I'm only using it at this time and I'm using it for this reason. And, you know, putting putting restraints on on things and thinking about them more intentionally for sure. I think everybody can use those. Me? Yeah, I think I'm,
1: yeah. <laughs> even yeah. me. <laughs> I think I, I like his approach of Twitter in terms of like, well, to be honest, like I don't even really use it for personal reasons. So I like the idea that it's like, okay, I'm going to use it for work. So that means that I'm not going to get into a rabbit hole and I don't need to look at it when I wake up. It's just going to make me stress if I, when I if I look at it when I wake up in the morning.
0: And I'm just going to put in here really quick a um Kate public service announcement. Nobody needs to look at their phones while walking down the street ever. That is yes, not please don't. nothing. Nothing is so important that you need to cross in front of traffic while looking at your phone. Yes, please don't. You could die. <laughs> and it's just it. I play like chicken with people who are on their phones walking towards me. I'm like, I'm not going to move. And we'll see if you run into <laughs> me because you won't look up from your screen. And sometimes it comes like within an inch. It's ridiculous. Oh, wow. I would like to see that. I would like
1: to see that film.
0: (laughs) And that's it for this week's episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. Have you tried a digital detox or digital minimalism? Do you not have a smartphone? Let us know using the hashtag FCMostProductive or write it on a piece of paper and mail it to us if you don't use the internet at all.
1: Join us in two weeks when we'll be talking about how to know if you're heading towards burnout, which you might be prone to if you're constantly on your phone. In the meantime, you can also find links to more articles in the show notes for this episode below.
0: You can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um, If you have decided to give up social media completely, like I said, you could send us a real letter on real paper. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Shannon Burner, who tweets so much she doesn't even remember what she said.